0: This episode of Radcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings.
1: Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick
2: Edwards. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. It's good to be back in the studio again. You know, it's fall time. Patrick's been out chasing fish. David's been out chasing elk. I think we've been successful at both of those. Yeah, marginally. Marginally. Just kidding. There's always more to be done, but we are at, we are actually in the studio together for for once. Like this last whole three months. It's been, it's been insane, it's been insane, but freezers are starting to get a little bit full. Uh, weather's changing. It's getting cool at night. Uh, so if you haven't listened to like the last, I don't know, umpteenth episodes and, and got the motivation to go outside and go catch some fish or, or hunt some milk or do some hiking, well, go listen to those episodes. Yeah, or we got more work to do. I'm not sure
0: which, but we'll get you convinced one way or another. <laughs> well, i pretty excited. We have a guest back in the studio. Yeah, Seth, welcome back. It's hey, good to have you again. again.
2: And uh, we're, we're glad you're here. We, we're excited to uh, pick your brain some more about uh, fine and pleasant misery. So the last <laughs> episode, Seth was here. And if you uh, haven't had a chance to go listen to that one, I would recommend starting there and then coming back to this one. But, you you know, if you're feeling a little, a little bit... Uh, dangerous go ahead and start here and then go back
0: yeah and seth so seth ewing he's from idaho he and i've been buddies for 32 years and he came down to wyoming because he wanted to get some fishing and some buddy time which was nice and uh we caught lots of fish and, and now we're we're hanging out doing some podcasting but what a lot of people don't know about seth is he's pretty much been in the outdoors his whole life been doing stuff like you know fishing hunting backpacking doing adventure races, even all kinds of crazy things. But uh, today we wanted to talk a little bit about mountain goat hunting.
2: Something yeah. I haven't got the opportunity because I can't get the tag. So uh, fishing game if you're listening, David Merrill would Help really like a mountain
1: goat tag. Help a brother out, right? How many people are gonna cry foul after you have all those <laughs> all those guys on the podcast and then you draw that tag? Oh man, yeah, that <laughs> well, could
2: get interesting. I have lots of years of of, of <laughs> not getting the tag, so you know
0: it's No time. corruption,
1: no corruption here. He yeah. got it <laughs> got it honestly.
0: Well, and it was kinda of funny, you know, how they were trying to get him out of the Teton range. So oh, it's like, Let me shoot one, let me shoot one. I applied one. <laughs> and my team didn't even get picked for that, so I, apparently I'm not qualified enough. Yeah. Well, you get up there eventually. So, uh, but yeah, Seth, so you got to go on a hunt. Uh, it Ready. wasn't your tag, but you were on the hunt. So tell us about where it was and kind of, kind of the backstory of the hunt.
1: Yeah. So, I have a I have an insanely lucky buddy is what it really amounts to. Everybody oh. needs one of those. It's actually kind of frustrating sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, I'm his friend that packs out his meat. The type That's- of
2: guy that, you know, goes out one day and shoots
1: big critters all the time.
2: Yeah, no scouting,
1: just lucky? No, no. He puts in the work, but it's, you know, you can't put in the work for the, for drawing a 2% goat tag on your first year putting in like that. Yeah, that's lucky. That's just a little disgusting, right? <laughs> I was like, what did you do? Um But yeah, so I have this buddy named Justin's just so you know, and I'll slip in and out of. Hi, Justin. And, <laughs> so. He put in and he got this goat tag. And so he, you know, it's a once in a lifetime tag in Idaho. If you, if you, uh, basically because the odds are so low, if you don't fill the tag, you can put in for it again, but the odds of getting it are so low. So, and if you fill it, you're done. So he wanted to really do the research. And it's kind of fun because he grew up on the wet side of Washington where it's just almost rainforest, right? So he grew up doing all this big game hunting where it's dense timber. You're basically flushing elk at 15 yards is my understanding of it. And he always wanted to do one of these Western hunts where you get up early in the morning, get out on a ridge, glass, find the animal, plan the stock, and execute that. So he always wanted to do that. And he got this tag for um, kind of the area between the uh, snake and salmon river gorges, yeah, you know, an area called the Seven Devils. But he got this tag and so he, he was doing his homework on how to field Judge Mountain Goats, which is pretty tough because they don't really have it's not like an elk, right? You have ten inches of horn. Yeah, you have ten inches of horn and you're trying to tell a little one's
2: eight inches and a big one's you're, eleven you're you're inches. You're trying
1: to tell is like, is that is that a eight inch or is that a ten inch? You know, and that's the difference between a big and a small goat, maybe. So it seemed like he was doing his homework. What was funny is we did a scouting trip This is going to be a late September, early October hunt. We did a scouting trip in the area and it snowed on us like a foot. It was actually one of the most apocalyptic scenes because there had been a forest fire through there and it dumped snow on top of that forest fire. So we're hiking out of there. We go into glass for sheep and it's fog and snow. I was like, you're looking for a nose. He actually did find, we did find one, but it was like, oh man, if this is what it's like when it's time to go hunting. You can't see anything.
2: So the joke in Alaska on the North Slope, you know, when I worked up there, is you got to watch out for the polar bears. Do you know how to spot a polar bear? You look for three black dots in the snow berm. (laughs) (laughs) The nose and eyeballs, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're not I mean, when I was up there, the little segue, you know, I was up there in December working and it's 30 below and the wind's blowing 20, 30 miles an hour and it's, you know, got these little... Hypnotic snow trails that just kind of whimsically blow in and out everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you could just stand there and get, you know, just completely hypnotized, just staring at the snow moving. But all of a sudden, you know, here's the, the whole berm is moving and it's not the wind. <laughs> that's not a pleasant I'm thought. Not, no,
1: thank you. I'm not interested in any polar bears. So
2: when you talk about glassing for these goats in the snow, so everybody knows they're pretty much all white except for black horns and a black nose.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if they if they manage to get their hooves on top of the snow, but that's not going to happen. So um, we went back there and just the conditions were so rough. But then hiking out, we got. We're in a windstorm right And we're going through this draw that's just been burned out there's actually smoke curling up through the snow and then the wind picks up and we're watching trees fall over oh man i was like we need to leave we're we're getting out of here so this is the area that we're going to be hunting later and what so we this did, is just
2: the pre-scout hey can this we this find this the goat is
1: the, uh, this was the appetizer for this whole hunt and the and the initial plan because he had planned. He's like, I'm going to go into this really rugged country just for context for people who aren't familiar with it. Hell's Canyon is the deepest canyon in North America, and they measure it off the top of the area we were going to be hunting. So you've got about 9,000 feet, and it just drops straight down to about 1,800 feet. What is the name Jeez. of the mountain range? Uh, the Seven Devils.
2: Seven Devils and Hell's Canyon. Those two names. If, sounds if like people... a lovely place. <laughs>
1: it a good indication. Yeah. <laughs> No one needs to visit it. (laughs) I've I've spent some
2: time on the other side of the river, like we discussed, the the outfitter I used to work for, Steen's Wilderness Adventures, they were out of, you know, Imnaha and Wallawa right there. And we went down to the Dugbar area and then hunted up from there and Warnock corrals. And I spent a bunch of time, but man, that that country is, you know, here in Wyoming, we're we're up to 10,000 feet chasing elk, but. Like I told earlier, usually you start at 6,000 and right. you're climbing, you know, over three miles up to 9,000. It's, it's a thousand feet per mile there. You're three, 4,000 feet per mile. It's just crazy. It's up, it's up four feet for every one foot forward.
1: Yeah. It can be, you know, really ridiculous and especially mountain goat hunting because those critters actually like to be on the steep, steep, steep cliff stuff. So you're kind of, that's the terrain you're dealing with. So my buddy got this tag. But he was smart about it. He's like, I'm going to take like five guys back with me. Not having horses, he's like, I'm going to find five sturdy guys. So we set a cache of food back at a place where we thought would be a good kind of base camp. So we had a food supply back there. But then, you know, as often happens, you make your best plans, you you scout, you do your your pregame stuff, right? And then stuff happens.
2: Yeah. what, What is that military saying? You know, all plans go out the window once the first shot is fired.
1: Right. No plan survives contact with the enemy. Yeah, exactly. Same same concept with hunting a lot of the times. And sometimes fishing too, for that matter, right? Yeah. That's what we had happen to us on this trip. Yep. So as it turned out, I get a I get a call from my buddy. I was taking some time off between jobs and so I was the person, he you were gave, one
2: of the five that, Hey, I could call this guy. I was the, one, I was the one of
1: the five who could survive the uh, change in plan. So he, he sends me just a text with the weather forecast on it. And we're supposed to be going in like, I can't remember the exact dates, but say October 1st and it's supposed to snow like a foot and a half on September 30th kind of thing. It's like, we need to go tomorrow. Like, okay, I don't have anything going on, so let's go tomorrow kind of thing. So that was kind of the context for this whole hunt as we knew that we had planned on being there up to five, six, seven days. We had 30 pounds of food cached, so we were good, except for... We knew what it was like back there because when it snowed, because we'd just been back there in the snow, so we kind of had a ticking clock that uh, was like, "We can't stay back there indefinitely. We need to get this done."
2: It's a segue, just a tiny bit. Just because you you plan and all these plans always go awry doesn't mean you shouldn't plan. Oh, right. That that gives not. you a great starting point, and then you can you can adjust the plan from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we had, you know, we knew where we wanted to be, where we wanted to be hunting where we wanted to sit and, and glass the first day, second day. And that, that ended up all holding true. If we had been doing that on the fly, especially with the scrunched timeframe, I don't know what would have happened, but it wouldn't have been the same hunt for sure. And probably the chances of success would have dropped significantly without that pre-planning and without his work figuring out how to identify that 10 inch goat versus a, a smaller one big deal when you've only got one shot at it, right? You,
2: you get one opportunity and you you want to make your best,
1: you know, yeah, I, I get it. So, I mean, I I should share a picture with you guys so that you can post it of some of the terrain we're looking at because it it's so hard to to get a feel for
0: it. It's ridiculous. Like how vertical and rough that country is. It's crazy. It, it, it actually is,
2: is worse than the Tetons. So if anybody's seen a picture of Tetons, you, you look at the seven devils, it it's worse.
1: Yeah. So we, we got back into this, you know, drove out and we got up to our first evening glassing spot and it's just fantastically beautiful there's a place called mirror lake which is not an imaginative, an imaginative name but it is perfect and it's right below this crazy peak called the tower of babel we're looking at these cliffs across the way and way way out where it's just a speck of white my buddy finds the goat um was like oh we don't want to go get that goat <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a big one Maybe it's a big one, but I don't, I don't want to get, especially like, you got to think of it from my perspective. This is not my mountain goat. This
2: is, <laughs> you're like, just along for the misery I, of this. Yeah.
1: I like I don't want you to shoot that goat. <laughs> you're, but, goes, you're the pack meal. Anyone who's been around mountain goats, I'm like, they're all over the place. Like shoot one that's just looking, <laughs> not that goat. Right.
2: So. But that's the goat.
1: Well, and see, it, as it turns out, I say that, but it actually wasn't. We, uh, and. I've been back in that country and I think we could have got that one, but it's the first day, right? It's like, okay, we're gonna we've got that one pegged. If we have to, that one on the cliff we can maybe see about him and and go back. But we, you know, watched him all night. And I have to say, like one of the frustrating things for me, I don't know what your hunting buddies are like, but I hunt with my brother and Justin and they are forever seeing all the animals before me. And it's like it's super frustrating because you're out there, you feel like a competent outdoorsman, right? <laughs> And like, and they say elk, mountain goat. you like, where? you like, and then they like point it <laughs> out. And you're no, like,
2: I I don't know what that feels like.
1: Well, your friends do then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way that goes. It's like you've always got someone who's got better eyes than you. No, or maybe you don't. Maybe you are that jerk. So, <laughs> um, well,
2: I, Seth, I have better than twenty
0: twenty vision. Just so <laughs> well, you there know. There you go. That explains that.
1: <laughs> so. The trip starts out as per usual, with me not being able to see things, but we went and we had a lot of extra hiking to do. got actually two drainages over and set up our first base camp.
2: Is this close to where your food was cached or completely different area?
1: Um close is a relative term, but within a couple miles so uh, and relative like despite what they've said, there is some flattish ground. there was kind of a bench, so we didn't have too hard to work to and we came in with you know, a week's worth of food in our packs too. Um, I like
0: how you say flat ish as if it's something.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I like out doing an elk hunting scout with the same friend, Justin, and he's talking about a flat and I'm looking out and it's like, where? Like, do you mean that 13% grade that we're looking at? <laughs> because yeah, it looks flat compared to everything else here, Too but a vertical. That is, yeah. Yeah. But that is that is not a flat. That's hard work getting up that. So, yeah, flatish areas, but uh it was one of those things. It was just the coolest thing because when plans come together, it's just it's a beautiful thing. It um is. so We were camped by a little place, uh, just one of these tiny little pothole lakes. I can't even remember the name of it, but it's, it's right nestled up near the biggest peak and got up before daylight, you know, and scrambled up through, bushwhacked up a big scree field, got up to a saddle and just start glassing, right? Same thing. Friend sees the first animal. Go figure. And <laughs> but there's something about getting up before <laughs> daylight, right?
2: It's a little hard to get out of your sleeping bag when it's cold. Oh, so hard. But the anticipation of what might I see today is always driving me to, you know, can I get to this ridge before daylight? And yeah, I usually don't eat a lot of food. You know, just like I said, you're burning that many calories. You, you don't. You're not hungry. You need the calories, but you're not hungry. So I don't eat in the mornings much anymore. But get up there and you get set up. You're warmed up now from hiking, and then the yep. you just hear the forest come alive, right? And it's, you
1: pull well in that case because you're up on an alpine ridge. It's not so much the the forest coming alive, but there is so much sound. It's the wind and the sound of like just the wind going through the rocks, and you're looking over the snow as it all lights up, and it's it is really. It's an experience you don't have in the front country, right? It's well, just totally different, especially when you're like eight miles from the rig. Yeah, and you
2: you don't experience it if you show up there at nine o'clock in the morning and the sun's at full. It's it's Mm-mm. just as that sun is just starting to illuminate everything, and and there's that it's almost that feeling of Christmas morning, like what are what's under the tree, right? It's like what's what's out in the meadows and what's on the ridges and what what can I find first?
1: Yeah, so. We we had seen some other goats in the evening, but none of them were anything that he felt confident in shooting.
2: I don't like evenings as much because there's this desperation of the, the lights, lights going, going away, away and oh no, I'm going to miss out.
1: You don't have time to do anything I about what you mornings. see either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not generally a morning person, but when it comes to that hunt aspect, absolutely. It's not like, Oh the time's running out. We're oh I have done. to set
2: ten alarms and my wife's always yelling at me, Your alarm's going off, get out of bed, to go to work <laughs> or to go do something. I you know, but the alarm buzzes once on a hunting morning? Or sometimes I get up and I'm like, oh, the alarm's going to go off in 15 minutes. I'll just turn it off and yep. get up now.
0: Are, are you saying you have the same issue I have?
2: Yes. <laughs> if, if you're going to get up to go fishing, Patrick, uh, yeah, you just get easy. up before the
0: alarm, right? Yep. would exactly. be like, oh, I said it. But I wake up 10 minutes before that alarm goes off. Now, how about a morning of going to work? No, I don't want to get up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's in a warm house in a warm bed. Yeah. Well, we're talking about being in a one-man solo tent uh, yeah. in a sleeping bag freezing and you still go. Yep. I'll get up
1: or, yep. or even sharing a tent with a snorer, which is, you know, even worse. <laughs> That's motivation. <laughs> yeah. Those, those ones don't get, those don't get invited back in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, but we did, we, we navigated that tough terrain in the darkness and got up first light and he he sees a goat and it's, it's that is exactly the kind of hunt he wanted. It's that big country, not dense timber. You can see animals further away than you kind of want to go. Probably it's the big
2: adventure, right? It's not, Hey, we walked a hundred yards from the truck. There's a goat. I shot it. And it's the world record. It's the, it's the energy and effort put in to get this reward is what makes it such a epic adventure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest too, we were, we were pushing my envelope all the way. Cause if we're looking in this drainage, I'm like, I don't want you to shoot an animal in here. Now, is this post... Where does this
2: fall in with your Swiss Alps trip? Oh, this was after. Okay, so you had the Alps experience. I like to think
1: I was getting smarter. (laughs) Well, then. (laughs) But uh, events after that have proven that that's probably not the case. Patterns, Patrick. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) misery
1: (laughs) so (laughs) so we see this goat and we watch it forever but you know again at a quarter mile or more it's really hard to tell the difference between 10 and and 9 yeah and and you just can't but it's so fun to watch an animal that has no idea you're there even if you're not going to put a stock on it and seeing him work his way through the base of the cliffs and the and the top of the scree fields and everything and just watching and of course looking for other animals that were more huntable huntable but also you're just you know getting that data you're trying to especially what, neither of us had ever mountain goat hunted before so i was like what we time are, do
2: they get up where are they eating where are they bedding all this is relevant data of where am i going to find more goats
1: you know and i'm i'm a big backpacker and i love mountain goats i think they're just the coolest thing um there are animals that look more charismatic but mountain goats are... Sheep
2: are probably...
1: Absolutely sheep. But and, sheep don't
2: live where the goats live.
1: But yeah, just the the whole package for me, a mountain goat is absolutely one of my favorite favorite animals, But and I love seeing them, but you don't pay attention to them the same way when you're backpacking as you do when you're hunting.
2: I think that's true across the board. You know, people who are, are non-consumptive uh, wilderness or just or outdoorsy people, you know, hiking through, oh, there's a moose, oh, there's an elk. Yeah, you might take a photo, you might see it, and then you're, you're moving down the trail. As a hunter, even if I'm not hunting while I'm out there and I see a moose, I'm collecting that data and I want to know more about that moose and, and its habits, and or the goat, or the elk, or the squirrel, right? It's just, it's a deeper level of connection with nature that you don't get when you're not pursuing that animal.
1: It was funny you mentioned that because we actually had that that miserable... Uh, scouting trip where we got snowed on and had the fog and the, you know, almost had trees dropped uh, on us and the old burn and everything. Um, the guy that we took with us is not a hunter and he was asking us, you know, a perfectly natural question, like, why would you do this? Right. And so we're trying to explain it to him about all of the other things, you know, those experiences of, well, we wouldn't actually even see some of these animals. Like I, we did an elk hunt last year, and one of my favorite memories from that elk hunt was we found this little white-tailed buck. He had a weird antler on one side, and he was like a fork horn on the other side. So dinky little derpy white-tailed buck, and he had no idea we were there. I mean, just watching him chew his cud and stretch, and, you know, it was the coolest thing. And we weren't hunting that animal, but we wouldn't have taken the time, and our attention wouldn't have been focused like it was... Because we were hunting.
2: The the difference of hiking and seeing goats or hiking and hunting goats is riding in the back of the plane or flying the plane, right? The experience of feeling the the adrenaline rush of I'm in control of this and I'm I'm one with this machine, right? That's the same thing as, oh, you get in the back of the plane. It's like, I was on a plane ride. I saw a goat.
1: Yeah, and that's even true if you're just the pack mule. Yeah, uh, because that's that's <laughs> essentially what I was on this trip. Um, but you're part of the team and part of the absolutely. mission and you have a goal. Absolutely. And, you know, we've also got, you know, frankly, a lot of stress built up on how many days do we have to do this? And if we get a goat down eight miles, how long does it take to get it out before this snow storm is going to roll in? So, you know, and- that's a piece of it, too. It sharpens everything because we know we have to pay attention to details or this is going to go
2: badly. For, for me to transition just a tiny bit into like elk hunting, I get more excited being the spotter, the caller and part of the, you know, Oh, it's support. just the more fun, isn't it? I'm like, and when, when I don't like to be the shooter up front because then all the pressure's on me. Stress. Right? It's stressful. It's like, oh, am I going to make a bad shot? All these guys are here trying to help me. When I'm back there calling, I'm like, hey, I did the best I could for you. You messed it up, man. What's, what's <laughs> wrong with you? <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So it can be... I mean, in my opinion, just as fun, if not more, to be part more. of the support than it is to be the trigger guy.
1: well, and the, you know, and the whole thing is I absolutely agree with that because there is a lot of there's a lot of stress and it's all good, right? I mean, you and I know you have enough like critters around the the studio here. like you enjoy the whole thing. So it's different, but there is something special about getting to experience probably the best parts without having the pressure of whether you're going to mess it up.
2: And that's not takeaway. I still want to be the trigger guy too, but I like both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we got up, we see this goat too far away in my opinion, but we're thinking about it, but you can't really tell how big they are even with a spotting scope at that distance. So we're trying to find something else. And I finally saw an animal first. Um you did it. I did it. I like, <laughs> I, like, I walked down the ridge a little ways and I'm looking down and there's this, um, there's this little rocky knob way lower than all the surrounding peaks. And it's got probably like a 30 foot cliff. And I see a goat on top of Is it. Is
2: everybody else's attention still up on the other goat? I can't remember what Justin <laughs> was doing. He
1: was doing something. But you found the goat first. Yeah. I went, I went further down the ridge toward the feather in your cap. Absolutely because this is the goat. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. I love it. He's like, I found him. I, I think I saw some others first, but like when I'm hunting with the people I'm hunting with, if I get to see the animal first, I'm really, really kind of very excited about that. So, and for people who
2: haven't done this before, it's like, especially when you're not the trigger guy, you've just found the target critter, right? And now it's like, you, you want to share this excitement with the other half of the hunting party or everybody, but they're far enough away. You're also like, well, I don't want to lose sight of him. So now you're like jumping away from your arms, trying to get his attention, right?
1: Well, yeah, actually like quick, we're a long way from this animal. And, you know, you can't tell, but he just looked different, but he was also laying down, which changes everything. So we, I quick ran up back up the ridge, like ran is not actually literally true, but, you know, moved quickly up and got him said have you seen this goat yet he hadn't I'm like yes <laughs> i got one over on you <laughs> come, finally come come over here i'm gonna show you something for a change um, <laughs> so we looked down and again oh, like oh. we're we're more than a quarter mile off and also hundreds of feet of elevation above i i would have to look at a map to guess but we're probably something like 800 feet above this rocky knob
2: so I'm not sure if this is true for goats, but for sheep, when you're underneath them, they always look huge, right? Look way beyond legal. When you're above sheep, they always look sublegal.
1: Right? Mm. Well, at this range, it was really hard to tell. And you got to remember, neither of us have mountain goat hunted before. So this is like, we've seen mountain goats, but we've never done this. So we're, we get the spotting scope, we look at this animal and think, well, he's huntable. He's not in an ideal place because he's over like a 30 foot drop and you don't want to shoot a tough animal and then have it like do a, (laughs) just jump to freedom off this Mm. cliff and run your, run your animal. Because for us, we'd been told mountain goat wasn't great eating. But if you if you've been in the outdoors you know people say that about everything and it's mostly delicious Antelope's If you take good delicious
2: care of it. Uh, mountain yeah. lions delicious. So Bobcats, very, very edible.
1: We weren't we weren't <laughs> buying any of that mountain goats no good to eat business we we were doing this trophy hunt, but we were absolutely gonna pack out everything we could from this animal so shooting it over a thirty foot cliff did not seem like a real doable proposition so we're but we don't know we're way out of position. we've got good eyes on it, he's laying down, but we don't know how long he's gonna stay there and we are way the heck up on this ridge. so it's like okay, I think we're gonna go take a closer look at this animal let's let's do this so we go. So
0: before you get into the story, we got to talk about one of our sponsors we're going to keep everybody on a cliffhanger as Ooh. Seth and Justin come and descend Ooh. on this mountain goat. But, uh, so David got to talk about bow spider real quick. Um, you know, hunting season and you know, I think about hunts like this where you're going into rough terrain. Uh, it could be elk, it could be anything, but how would the bow spider help out? You know, I have, this is the
2: third year I've used my own product and it it just was, an epitome this year to me of even if I didn't own the company and and be, be paid to tell you that you need to get the bow spider, all five guys that came in and archery hunted this year with us, we all had one, right? And we all relied on it heavily. I mean, it got to the point we got snow one day and we're hiking up a ridge and hiking up and hiking up. We went almost to right at 10,000 feet and started it just right at five and we're just in the snow, right? Chasing critters, chasing critters. Well, my bows on my back and we're cow calling and bugling along the way, and all of a sudden I caught movement, and it's snowy ground, so a tan elk running through the snow. I had that bow off my back and locked and loaded while he was trotting in from 80 to 50 yards. Now he hung up at 50. The guys in behind me started calling a little bit. Wind switched almost instantaneously. He was gone, but the guys behind me commented, they're like, it was amazing how quick you pulled that bow off your back, loaded that arrow, and went to work. You know, Mm -hmm. I went from... Two hiking poles in my hand and struggling uphill (laughs) to actively hunting in seconds, and it there's no other system out there that really facilitates that. So you know, don't take my word for it. There's a ton of thousands of customers out there that are happy, but I'm I'm of the opinion I won't go in the woods with my bow without my bow spider on my backpack.
0: And it doesn't matter where you are if you're you know hunting out here in the west or if you're doing it out east in a tree stand. There's applications for the bow spider if you're transporting your bow in your truck if you're
2: that's everybody's
0: favorite location is yeah. the headrest of the truck. Leave your bow case at home. Out on the range, have a place to hang your bow when you go down range to pick up your arrows. It's a game changer. So go to bowspider.com, check that out, get one for your next trip. And now we'll come back to the story with uh, Justin and Seth making their descent after this mountain goat.
1: So, you know, you have that initial kind of council of war, right? And you're you're sitting there you've <laughs> spotted an animal and you're like, are we going to do this? We're going to do this. So there's a, there's a chain of lakes in this drainage and, you know, lots of wrinkly ground and stuff. So we think, okay, we can make it to There's the,
2: always that moment of, are you going to declare war or are we going to declare peace, right? It's like, are we doing this or not? You, you, and, and once you declare, you're like, hey, we're going to war. It's, it's all out.
1: Well, and you know that you're talking about all of your opportunity for the rest of the day to hunt because this animal is not... Close. Oh, once it's, you've it's, committed to this, this is the whole day. It's an, an it it's an in a new drainage um, away from our camp. We've got probably six or seven miles to come back around to our camp if we use trails. And we so were you're now
2: talking about you're coming back in the dark, whether this is successful or not. Yeah, you're, you're burning a whole day to go look at this goat.
1: Yeah, this with you know And you all, know snow's coming. So this is other high dynamics. pressure, high stakes. But we feel good about it, so. Like, and But we don't know how long he's going to stay there, and we have no idea where he's going if he leaves. So it's like, okay, we need to be there two lakes down now. So we just bombed off. The, we found a place that would hide us from him, so we're losing sight of the animal and hoping for the best. Bombed down the elevation as quickly as we can to the next the first lake, and sneaking. It was funny because this animal was not particularly cautious, but we didn't know that. So we're creeping through the woods get over the lip of the outlet of this first lake and he's still there I was like okay this is really good and we stopped and we like okay but what is he, what is he doing is he about to leave is he settled in we don't know and we sat there for probably half an hour watching this goat and also now we're much closer so we can kind of assess have we made a good decision coming off this ridge and he looked big i was like oh man he's he is a good goat this is if we can get him off of that cliff. Let's do he, this. He's going <laughs> to... We're going to try and harvest this animal.
2: but he The was, one that you found.
1: Yes. That's an important point. You know, at that point, it's the next step. Because now we have to drop elevation to another lake. And then we can take another look. But there's a again, it's hard to describe this. I feel like I want, you know, using hand motions and stuff doesn't really help on podcasts, does it? Not particularly. But there's a, there's a ridge um, to the south of the next lake and the knobs on the end of this ridge. So we can drop all the way to the lake, but then you have to regain elevation and figure out how you're going to access, because you, you, if you could take a thousand yard shot, you'd be golden. But if you want a closer shot or you want, you want a chance to interact with the animal, you've got to do some more stuff.
2: So there's a moment on the doll sheep film that we just launched for bow spider, where we segue into a wolf hunt and the wolf is at 675 when I'm calling at him. And I just, I mean, he's lots of elevation. I'm carrying my aunt six. That's lethal to about 600. Right. And I just didn't feel comfortable, but there was a, a midway Ridge and I'm like, I can get to 350 or 375, but I had to lose sight of the wolf. So I left the cameraman there and I got up there. Well, somewhere between that 300 yard stock up to the next ridge, that wolf got up and, and boogied. Right? right. And so there's always that risk of take the long shot and not make it or move locations, try and get closer and get a very doable. It would, I mean, I range where he was at. It was 275 when I popped over the ridge. Right. If he'd still been sitting there, I'd have my first wolf on the wall. But
1: Alas, it didn't happen, but I had to
2: lose sight of the critter moving.
1: And that's one of the things where it's so great where you have, if you're doing this solo, you're making all these decisions yourself. But if you're with someone else and the conditions were such that we actually had the chance to talk about it, like, okay. What the are pros we, and
2: cons what are we going to do and you've made the decision together so you get yeah. to live with it
1: yeah exactly and it was just so it was so cool to have the teamwork aspect of making this decision even though I'm not the trigger man as you said like we're fully engaged in this thing together yeah, but you found this critter so this is I'm very at this invested, point yeah. you're you're
2: as, as vested as as he is yeah
1: yeah absolutely and so we we decided to drop down to the to the lake and get eyes on him again and now when we made it down to this this last lake. Now we're at a range of say 400 yards, like we're hearing distance, but the terrain is such that there's no, there's no shot and he's still not in a good place. This is one of those things where the decisions you make beforehand and the decisions you make as you get closer start to morph a little bit. It's like, this is not a good place to shoot this animal. It's like, maybe this is a place where I could live with this animal, because you're also getting a better look at the terrain too. So is it, is it what you thought it was or is it a little different?
2: And sometimes the, the right answer is to just back out and come back again tomorrow at him from a fresh angle and let him move overnight. But sometimes it's not the right answer.
1: Yeah. And you know, who knows in this case, but you know, as it turns out, uh, So, spoiler, spoiler alert. What,
2: what time are we at, at this lake? Is it mid-morning, mid-afternoon? It's hum-
1: now, it's now mid-morning. By the time we're there and we've been taking our time. So all told, we got to interact with this goat for probably about four hours from first sight to the big finish on it. So, I mean, that's a long time to kind of be in that heightened state of, Oh, here we go. We're doing this thing. Well, and the cool thing for me, because this is where like really we made the decision to separate at this point, because I, the reality was I wasn't going to add a lot to the final stock except for noise and scent. So I got to park at the end of the lake with the spotting scope and my binos.
2: Oh, this is the best part. That's the best. Yeah. You're now you're like, you're basically handing somebody a meal on a silver platter. You've put it together, right? You made all the ingredients, you made the dish, but you're like, here, you have to consume it and enjoy it. Yeah, That's where you're at. You're now, you are a hundred percent observer. And I really like this part.
1: Yeah. So, and it's one of these things where I lost sight of my buddy, entirely like he's gone he's working around the back side of this thing so that he doesn't spook the animal and that means he's also out of sight of me so i'm just sitting there chilling except for not chilling because it's too exciting it's like you too spotting much spotting scope
2: or binos on the both, goat both okay
1: so i'd switch between so i could have the wider angle view and see if i could pick up justin as he came over the top of this thing and so potentially
2: where he's coming over the top and where the goat's at what kind of distance are we talking
1: so i'll get i'll get there because okay. it's it, this is. This is where it got really exciting because I'm just watching this goat and it was the laziest animal I've ever seen. It was kind of like, it was It was really cool because it almost like, oh man, he's kind of like a like a homer simpson goat or something he's just like (laughs) stand up like take a pee and scratch he's like scratch his head with his hooves and then lay back down and probably belch you know he's just like kind of had a lot of but But it's neat to get to you know because if you shoot them in
2: 30 seconds after seeing them you don't get to see their mannerisms their characteristics just the way they
1: yeah and i got to see a lot more of this than my buddy did because i'm just sitting there you know, at the lake where I can with the spotting scope, I can almost count his eyelashes and
2: see at this point, I don't know which one I'd rather be right. Just getting to be the observer or getting the excitement of I'm going to creep over this Ridge and hopefully he's still right. both are fun.
1: So the long story short on this, because there's more to after, after the harvest is a big part of this story as well um, is he came over the top of the Ridge and he popped up over that goat at about 30 feet. (laughs)
2: With, with his rifle <laughs>
1: with his rifle should have had a bow almost shooting straight down the goat actually because you know when you're 400 yards away the sound doesn't sink properly so i'm not 100 percent sure how it happened but i think justin made some noise and this goat like looked up straight up at him and didn't really do anything for a second and he and he let him have it and he ran off through the the woods and justin tried to take a follow-up shot because all of the advice on goats he had been given is shoot until they stop
2: anchor them they are they are tough from everybody i've talked to
1: they are so tough and so strong i hear shots i see the goat disappear and at the end of the hunt they were so close i with the spotting scope i have both of them in picture for the final <laughs> part <laughs> of wow, it that's crazy and, and so
2: your eyeballs caught him moving and him skylining as the goat well, still it in took frame. long
1: enough that i had been following him for like 10 minutes because <laughs> okay. we're waiting for this goat to you know, not be in this spot. And Justin had to assess, like, is this a good spot to make this shot or not? And at the end, he, he called it, you know, in that moment. and
2: So at 400 yards, you guys got to look at this goat. What did you guess him at size-wise when you were...
1: This is the part where if you were talking to the trigger man, he would probably tell you the exact length of, you know, the horns and everything. I actually don't remember because it's just not the most important part of this hunt to me. And, and again, like the difference between 8 and 10 inches is not but, that huge. But, but when was, you looked at was, it, you
2: knew he was good. He wasn't yeah, like, eh, maybe. He You're was like, He was good. a
1: mature goat and he wasn't a state record, but he was he was a very shootable trophy. He was very nice. I think he was over 10. But, you know, again, Justin would be able to give you the exact digits on that, but he was a very nice goat. So what happened when it ran off into the woods? Well, I'm like, I'm within shouting distance to Justin. Like, hey, what happened? Like, did you hit him? You don't even know for sure, right? (laughs) Yeah, you don't. It's like, Justin's a very good shot. I haven't really seen him miss much of anything. Yeah, but at
2: 30 feet when you're startled. And shooting straight down. Yeah. The, the adrenaline could get it. Yes, that's a close shot, but the adrenaline, when you're that close, I'd rather have a hundred yards than 30 feet. I think he probably would have too, especially
1: in, you know, like shooting straight down, who practices that? Not me.
2: Uh, the nice thing with total archery challenges is when you, those events we go to, they actually set up three Well, tree targets. stand
1: hunters is who practices oh, yeah. that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right? just like... Rifle hunters don't practice that. <laughs>
1: exactly. So anyway, ended up clawing my way around the lake and up to the spot and there you know there's my buddy with this and they're so much bigger than you imagine like the chest on that thing i you know you can't possibly reach around it it's just so front
2: quarters bigger. are bigger than hind quarters and it's a
1: really weird animal to take apart because yeah. of they just they look weird they really do
2: they're actually almost balanced on their front feet
1: Oh, they absolutely are. And if you read about them, their ability to climb and stuff has so much to do with the the power in those front shoulders. They're really a remarkable animal. But at this point, you know, we've, we're have we four hours into this. It's now, I think, about 2 in the afternoon. And the From, goat's on the ground. Goat's on the ground. He, he missed the second shot, but the first one was a great, great uh, lethal shot, and that goat expired probably within 40 yards of where it was shot.
2: So did it run down into cliffier stuff or kind of run up into a little bit better spot
1: it actually ran down into a better spot it was on a cliff in it we actually went out onto the spot where it was and yeah it could have gone very differently but as it was he ran off into the trees and um into a pretty nice spot to start working on him and so my buddy had already decided that if he got a nice goat it was going to be a full body mount we've never done a mountain goat for full body mount, so we were like skinning part that part adds to the time right if you're gonna do a full like one piece hide thing it adds to the weight too so we were kind of trying to figure out how to get a, the height off it in a way that'll make a nice mount right and there are stories involved with that where we we made some mistakes <laughs> and there was a lot of extra stress but we finally got it done well to to,
2: to give you a little coo- you know kudos is I've got all these shoulder mounts, but I've never done a life-size either, right? And I'm I'm very confident at caping an animal, and that's not a problem. But I actually, on that doll sheep hunt we filmed for my dad, we decided to life-size mount that. And so I pulled the sat phone up and called the taxidermist in the Brooks Range. I'm like, hey, how do I how do I do the back legs and do you want? Mm -hmm. And it ended up, we went right up the back. I was thinking you'd go up the belly,
1: but right. And that's probably a good point. He had a taxidermist he worked with and he had researched this beforehand. Now I hadn't, but so we would have totally gummed it up had it been me, but he actually had a relationship with a taxidermist had talked to him about what he needed beforehand, which we didn't have a sat phone. So we just would have been up the Creek right without that, but it's different doing something than Knowing the theory of it, right?
2: Yes. So to explain to the listeners at least how it should be done is you're the back two legs, you're going to go up the back of the legs, make a Y together at the base of the tail, and then go all the way out the- Up the ridge. Up just up the off ridge. of
1: the ridge of the shoulder, yep. actually. yep.
2: And then you just short incision the front legs just enough to get to the elbow and then skin them out like a sock.
1: Yeah. And the the main thing that we did wrong is we cut the jugular while the head was still attached. And so we had, we were trying to figure out what to do with blood Um, on a white coated animal. It added a lot of stress to our day, but uh, there was snow around. So we sopped it up and, you know, it turned out okay. But at this point, like we're, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, we want to keep the meat as good as possible. So we need to take care of that. We need to quarter this animal, get, get the meat off. And there was snow around. Um, So we actually ended up caching all the, all the meat in snow which was great, but then it's also like, okay, temperatures being what they were, it was a little warm. We need to get the hide and stuff out and all these decisions that come after.
2: How many total packers did you
1: have? Oh, just him
2: and me. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's plenty shooting. That's a, that's a little bit off of the five you told me you were taking.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, that's what you get when you have (laughs) to like call an audible and say, (laughs) let's go tomorrow. So uh, we, we ended up, you know, packing the hide out to all the way around to, to our camp. And then we moved camp because our food cache was closer to the vehicle, was another mile. So coming through the night, like there are fresh wolf prints in the, in the mud and it's raining and now it's dark. Yeah, and just like, what are we doing out here? And at
2: least the meat's <laughs> in the snow, so you know it's good for your second trip. Yeah,
1: and and all told, we started that day, you know, because it's later in the season, so sun like really first light was close to seven o'clock down at mountain time, but we didn't get done with that stuff until one in the morning when we retrieved the cash and got actually got to go to sleep. So you're you're working hard all day long and then into the night and then it starts to rain. And so for me, everything's gone as well as it can possibly go. My buddy got his animal. We're halfway out and I'm pretty much content. But now it's raining on his trophy and he's just laying there awake, stressed out at whether we've done a good enough job or not. So as it turned out, we ended up going back the next morning, boning out everything just to reduce weight because we we're going to try and get everything out in one go and then get it back to where my family lives to get it in the freezer, get everything or at least get it cold, like the meat get it cold.
2: So there's all these logistics to get an animal on the ground, right? And all this work and preparation and game plans. And some go well, some don't. But then there, it, there's this whole other level. Once you actually, once the animal hits the ground, then the work really starts. And that's what you're talking about. people. And people who haven't done this just do not understand.
1: And the fact of the matter is, is at this point, like we also found out neither of us had dedicated hunting packs. So we're using backpacks that are designed to really carry up to 40 or 50 pounds. And we're trying to take out a mountain goat with the full hide and all the meat in one pass. And so our packs are way overloaded. It's just the conversations you have as you after you've had a day like what I just described. And then you're coming out, huge, steep country, big gains, and you feel like your hips are about to pop out. So in an
2: analogy, you're basically taking a Toyota Corolla to do a pickup truck's job absolutely
1: yes absolutely
0: Uh, that brings me to this question when you're going down that steep terrain with all that weight i mean what's the stress level like for that i mean you make one wrong move and you're a goner
1: yeah uh, the the trail where we were actually working on at that point was fairly decent so it's definitely a pay attention to details again kind of thing but you know your trekking poles help tremendously with footing and that kind of stuff and you take it slow what was funny. Funnier to me was the conversations we had about, can you imagine being this much overweight? (laughs) Could you imagine
2: walking through the woods with this much (laughs) weight?
1: Could Could you imagine this being your walk around everyday weight? And it's like, it makes you grateful for, you know, we don't have a choice sometimes about our level of health. Um, you can do what you can, but there's just so much stuff that happens to you. So we're having, the, it's just the weird conversations you have in the woods, whether they make much sense or not. You're just like, man, this feels like a lot. Um, but also he, at one point he tells me, like, have you ever had just weight pulled down on your shoulders so hard that your head hurts? And I looked at him like, no, how do you, how do you have your pack set up? Looked and he was carrying all of the weight, this goat and 75% and rifle,
2: go on your hips, 25 on your shoulders.
1: He had probably 80 percent on his shoulders and so it was pulling so hard on his you know on his neck that it was hurting his head you know, we got him adjusted at that point it was a little the damage was kind of done but
2: well patrick and i both have kufarus now and they are uh well they're the cadillac of, of game me, changer for, for sure for yeah
1: me. i don't know what uh i don't know what kuyu is if there's the cadillac where, but it's so much better than what we were using
2: it's definitely a step up from, it was a huge from your, step your up. backpacking backpack.
1: oh yeah, yeah. so but, um, what have was cra-
2: Patrick show you his Kefaru?
1: Yeah, I, that has to happen. I'm a little bit jealous <laughs> <laughs> even with my gear. It's like, I should be totally content, but and I'm a little jealous. Thanks again,
0: David and Kafaru.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if you've got any extras laying around, uh, <laughs> 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 just, just saying, um, anyway, so what was crazy about this is that we get, we get the animal out and you have all that letdown and, the you know, you would normally relax except for we left, we chose because of the weight issues and the space issues. We left our tent and this cache of food back in the mountains. And when we came out that night, we spent front country, that snow that we'd been racing hit. So it Uh, dumped, it dumped two feet of snow. Well,
2: so if you'd been 24 hours later, might've been no goat. Yeah. It would
1: have been no goat, you know, because it,
2: yeah, you can't hike the terrain, you can't spot, you can't glass. If the snow's still hitting, you can't even, you, well, you can't I see. Well, I suppose
1: we, like, maybe we'd got to go, but we would have had a heck of a time getting it out. Um, as it was, like we still had to go back in there. And, you know, it's just a different game when um, we ended up scattering. We ate as much pudding and ramen and whatever <laughs> else as we could stand. And then we, we
2: scattered. I'm still kind of mad that on, so I've gone on three doll sheep hunts with my dad and the second one. We spent 90 hours in the tent because of snow and rain and fog. And we didn't get a sheep. Joe Bartlett of Blue Creek Outdoors went with us on this third one. And I ended up packing two full mountain houses back to the truck. And I'm still <laughs> mad about that extra two mountain houses because, you know, you're talking full camp rifle plus a third of a caped out doll sheep. It's and, and it wasn't a mile to the truck.
1: Yeah, well, he shot his about eight miles from the from the rig. So the, the heaviest packs were quite a quite a haul we figured we put in between 50 and 60 miles on this 3 day you know basically what ended up being a long 3 or 4 days but we did pack out like people who don't pack out their trash there's a special reward waiting for them somewhere um so we did take out all our trash <laughs> and uh and we got We got out of there, but it was just so crazy, like to have that snow come just as it was supposed to. And like the difference in the experience between like my stress level, this is what you're talking about being, being the support crew. Yeah, I had to work pretty much as hard as he did but I've told him for years, like, that's my goat too. Yeah. Like I, it, and, it
2: might be hanging on his wall, but it's your goat too. Yeah. You spotted it. Yeah,
1: exactly. yeah <laughs> you, I am just like, I have no desire to, to check that box myself because like, I love those animals. I love seeing them. Like it, the whole memory and stuff, there's nothing I can add. For me personally, there's nothing I can add to that experience um, from, from what we had. And so it was just, it was great too to come out and there are people glassing for opening day of elk season was the next day. And they've got two feet of snow and it's kind of that like, oh, sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. We're tagged out Bye. yeah we're tagged out and getting out of here because it's about to snow some more.
2: And the most important part in, in the end of a successful hunt for me is we go to town and we get a bacon cheeseburger.
1: Yeah. I, I can't remember what we <laughs> ate, but we, we probably did something on that order. Yeah. It was like something that replaces those calories. It's that is, cherry on top. Yeah. You're
2: sitting there, you're back from, from the wild successful and, and you
0: can just, yeah. And I bet it was consumed extremely quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cause we, we definitely put the work. So the final part of this thing for me, that is kind of, uh, I, is I told the you? guys that we, as it turns out, uh, the people who said that mountain goat is no good to eat were mostly wrong, but so I don't know what you guys like to eat first, but in my family, the first thing to go is the tenderloins. Almost, you know, they may not, that's often same day, right? You pull those out and you don't want them to cure because especially on like a white tailed or something, there's just, if, you, if it cures, there's nothing left. On
2: that doll sheep film, we put a tenderloin on a spit over a fire that night, right? Yeah. Out there, Absolutely. I packed salt and pepper just, for that.
1: Absolutely. So I'm actually, I was living in, in the basement unit, uh, of my, my hunting buddy's house. And so we're like, everything is close. Right. And he's, he's grilling up the tenderloins from this, this goat, this Epic hunt. I think we had other things that we had foraged. And so we're going to have this wild feast and they looked beautiful. Just on the grill, beautiful, beautiful tenderloins. And we're, we're all really excited about this. And so we sit down and He's got it cut really thin, and we all take a bite together kind of after praying, and it's like, and we just sat, you know, you just hear the chewing, and (laughs) after 20 or 30 seconds, my buddy's wife says, I don't know if I can eat this. (laughs) (laughs) The, The flavor was really, really good. That was the toughest animal I have ever encountered. It was... I could just eat it. And that was the tenderloin. So he made many pounds of really, really wonderful sausage.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's what I do with with duck and goose. But There's one mule deer hanging here on the wall that, you know, I do a lot of canned meat. That's We've talked about that on the podcast before. But the big mule deer buck here, uh, people commented on after it was canned, they're like, that's really tough meat. He was just, sometimes I think
0: that you, you just get a tough one. Yeah, And, and I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Josh Williams, who listens to this. He killed one up on the bear tooths a few years ago and gave me some of the ground meat. And I made a bunch of different things with it. it was The flavor is amazing. I mean, yeah. it was, it was really tasty.
1: Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Eat, but in like the whole thing, like what makes this such a special memory is like that camaraderie, like pulling it off, doing something we'd never done before, little on the crazy side, You know, it's not shooting a bull elk eight miles back, but it's still like the terrain is really challenging. The initial plan didn't really go, you know, the way we thought it would. But you know, everything kind of kind of turned out really well. And that doesn't always happen. But those times when you're out and things go the way they're supposed to, they just they're a little sweeter when they're compared with all the times where things didn't turn out and everything, and when it's a once in a lifetime hunt with you know, a really fantastic friend. You just like, man, this is special. This is a gift.
0: Absolutely. And I want to talk about high mountain for a little bit. Did you try any high mountain with
1: any of that or any, I typos? it wasn't my animal. So I, I got finished products alone, but I bet it would have been really great. Yeah. I was well, say when I get
2: my mountain goat, Patrick, we'll, I'll have you over.
1: We'll yeah. have
0: some high mountain on some mountain goat. I think we should make some, uh, high mountain mountain goat sausage. I think that would probably be pretty good. But I think
1: you should share with me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I mean,
0: if you guys haven't, used high mountain seasonings. You got to do it. You're missing out if you haven't. They, I know this year, you know, I've used it for just about everything, trying it out on new homemade bacon, everything. Yeah. Oh, which is going to happen really soon. And hams and all kinds of fish and wild game and poultry. And if, if you need, if you're cooking protein, high mountain has a seasoning for you. Yep. So go to Himtnjerky.com again, H I M T N jerky.com and get a hold of some of that. But yeah, Seth, it's fun to hear the story. I can only imagine just because, you know, being up in that country with you back in twenty ten, twenty eleven, whenever mm-hmm. it was, seeing Hell's Canyon. I can't even imagine, dude. I bet that was an epic, epic trip with the terrain and just everything you guys had to do. That's pretty special.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll talk to my friend and hopefully Um, he'll give me some permissions that permission to share some of the pictures from that hunt so you guys can post them
0: yeah that would be really cool yeah we'll put those in the show notes people want to see for sure and we got to talk about our last sponsor pk lures again it's fall it is prime time you want to catch some big trout big walleye bass whatever you're going after get out there and check them out um i know that a hot one here recently, some of the guys were tournament fishing. They were pulling that PK crank, trolling it behind the boat, catching some big ones, catching some big ones on spin jig Don't forget uh, about the Red Dot Glow. And the Red Dot Glow jigging spoon. That is money from now all the way through the spring, I will tell you. Uh, through the ice, it's killer. So get stocked up. Go to pklure.com. They'll get you set up with everything that you need for your next fishing trip. So, Seth, what's what's on the horizon for the next big adventure?
2: 'Cause it sounds like the goat hunt, we're home, we've eaten it, it's on the wall, we're gonna So he did get it life size mounted, right?
1: Because he was living in a small apartment, his tax thermos has actually had it this whole time and he finally called him and said, I've built my house, mount the goat. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what my goat looks like <laughs> in, in, in his house. Perfect. Tell us so, about,
0: tell us about the big elk hunt you got
1: coming up. Yeah, well, I have been uh spectacularly unsuccessful muzzleloader hunter. So we're <laughs> ju- deciding to take, yeah, that's a long story, but we're ta- I'm taking a break from that and we're doing a rifle season for bull elk um, out of kind of that salmon river country. We're going to drop in and hopefully work harder than the other hunters and maybe have some opportunities that they don't have. That's the theory. It's going to be really frustrating if some guy with his belly sticking over his belt buzzes up on a side by side and whacks <laughs> our elk. You'll hear about that if uh, if it does, but we're hoping to backpack in and set up and we we did some scouting and there's some, there's some nice bulls that are
2: i I have archery hunted up in that neck of the woods, and there you'll you'll get away from the side by sides you just gotta work at it,
1: yeah, yeah, we're just hoping the elk cooperate, and that's the that's the next thing that'll be actually next week coming up quick, yeah, so
2: well, watch out for the grizzly bears, stay safe. We <laughs> look forward to hearing about big bull elk story with
0: with a little bit of suffering, not a lot. I- Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And again, Seth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Everybody, if you want some more Radcast Outdoors, go to radcastoutdoors.com. Our website has all of our shows. You can listen to them right off the website. You Mm -hmm. can subscribe and get it on all your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget about social media. And there's also Radcast Outdoors Nation. We share all kinds of cool stuff on there. Yep. So get out there and check it out. We'll see you next time.